all have a different story. But we also all have the same story. Did you know that? We all have the same story. And what I mean by that is I find it very fascinating that even though the details in our story is different and we have different characters, the plot is all still the same. The plot is that we all still need a savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ that has brought us together in this room for this whole weekend, right? And so I just, I love that about it. I love it. And our purpose in our story is to always bring glory to God. Always. You know, that's the one thing that sets our stories apart from the world, is the fact that we're able to surrender our stories and take them to God. Okay? That's what it's truly about. That we can discover our purpose and that we can live in our purpose and share his love with others to help impact this world. And yet at the same time, there's a very real enemy. He's very, very real. And he wants to kill, steal, destroy, and take ownership of your stories. Okay? And if he works so hard to take ownership of your stories, then that must mean that you truly do have a purpose. And he does not want you to fulfill your purpose. Because each and every one of you have been given an assignment. You have. You've been given an assignment in your family, in your community, in your church, in this world. Okay? You have an assignment. And if you can figure out what that assignment is, it usually has to do with your calling, a.k.a. your purpose. It usually has to do with that. Okay? And if you can find your purpose, then you can make a difference. All right? And your purpose will look different than mine, and that's okay. Because you're going to reach people that I can't reach. And to me, that is what's so amazing about how the body works. I can have my story over here. You can have your story over here. We could be across the world, and yet we're all still the part of one body. And we're all flowing and working together to tell this world about God and how awesome he is. And I love that kingdom mentality. I love how God does that. Isn't it great to know that we're not alone? that we are part of one gigantic army, right? And we are together in this. And not only are we together, but God has given us the best teammate ever, the Holy Spirit. He's so amazing, and I love him so much. I'm going to take a sip of water. Can you turn my mic up just a little bit more, please, sir? Thank you. So I thought it would be cool tonight, thanks, to kind of start this conference off a little bit different than what I'll be doing tomorrow morning and um, Sunday morning. And I um, wanted to uh, go in light of the theme and share with you a little bit of my story, okay? Now, I am gonna say this, that when Miss Debbie said, oh, it's our stories, it's gonna be great, I thought, yay, it's story time. Okay, God, I wanna talk about this. And then he said, "Mm, no, Kendra, I want you to talk about this. And I said, no, 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 they don't want to hear that. God, I'm going to talk about this. This is going to be much more fun. And he said, "Mm, Kendra, I want you to talk about this. And the reason why I want you to talk about this is because if this hadn't happened in your life, you wouldn't be here today with the heart and the passion that you have for all these beautiful women that are in this room because you had to experience this in order to get here today. So I'm going to be very honest with you. First of all, I hope you all know that when he said that to me, I simply said, yes, sir. Right? Because it doesn't do any good to ever argue with God. Okay? Because he's just going to keep repeating himself until you finally just become obedient. So just get it done the first time and be done with it. Okay? So that's one. But number two, I want to tell you that I really need your support. I like an active audience. I'm okay with laughing. I'm okay with clapping. I'm okay with, what did she just say? I'm okay with, um, mm mm-hmm, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I I need involvement from y'all. It does not scare me. It thrives me. And also, um, because this is something in my life, I just have not talked about it very publicly. I just haven't. You know how you always have that, um, that one season of your life that you just yeah, just kind of brushed it aside 
and you're like, oh, we don't, we don't ever want to revisit that. Let's just pretend that didn't really happen, right? This is one of those seasons for me. And um, I'm, I feel like the Lord was telling me this is a very safe room. And so I am going to talk to you about some things that I didn't want to share with y'all tonight, but I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to do it, and y'all are going to be safe, and you're going to help me get through it. Okay? Cool? All right. So, Lord, I love you. You are faithful. You are awesome. And I just ask that you would have your way open our hearts, open our minds. I speak right now to distractions. You have to go. You have no place here. Instead, Holy Spirit will move as it needs to move and speak through me in your holy, holy name. Amen. All right. So, I was born into ministry. Okay? My parents were pastors. And I was raised in church, and I gave my heart to the Lord at a very young age, about six years old. And um, my parents were a part of a uh, religious denomination where uh, it was incredibly unhealthy. I'll say it that way, where you know that God is more about relationship than he is about rules, right? And that's the best way that I can describe this denomination for the most part, is that it was more about focusing on the rules than it was about, hey, this is God and how much he loves you and how much he'll be with you, that you can talk and be with him every day. It's more than the relationship with the Lord. And as I grew up in this very toxic religious environment um, as a pastor's kid, we pastored in West Texas for a while, for about 10 years. I loved it there. It was awesome. And then my parents got an opportunity to move to a small town in Louisiana, and pastor a church there. So um, I was about nine to ten years of age whenever they decided, you got the giggles over here, I love it. Okay, so I was about nine to ten years of age whenever we decided to move to this small town in Louisiana. And um, I, in our denominational background, what, what you need to know is that in Louisiana, this town and this church was known to be a big deal, okay? It was very well known, and um, it was an honor to be considered to be there, okay? And so honestly, this was a great opportunity for me and my brothers and my parents, and we truly were excited to go and start our new lives in Louisiana in this town. And I'll never forget, it's just funny what you remember as a kid, right? Whenever we went into the hotel room for the first time to visit this town to see if they liked us, um, there was this huge fruit basket in our hotel room, okay? And like as a kid, you're going, oh, there's candy in here, and there's fruit, there's snacks, and all, you know, things you remember. Anyway, the sign, there's like this little card that was with this fruit basket. And I'll never forget, the card said, welcome to paradise. Welcome to paradise. And I just want to let you know that unfortunately, The following 10 years after us moving there were anything but paradise, okay? Anything but paradise. Because, you see, what we didn't know as a family was that we were walking into a very unhealthy church. And we were walking into a very unhealthy culture um, where there were some unhealthy people who had experienced a lot of pain. And they weren't sure how to deal with that pain that they had. Two months after us accepting the pastorate of this church, there was a group of people who had already planned on leaving. They had already planned this. They, just, they left, and um, they went five minutes down the road from our church. And, um, I, you know, I think that it would have been cool, like they formed their own little church down there, and it would have been cool if they would have just gone and maybe you do you, boo, you know, kind of thing. But uh, instead, <laughs> what ended up happening was... Um, they just had so much pain from whatever took place before we got there that they chose to say a lot of painful things as they departed and continued saying painful things even after their departure. Okay? Um, and honestly, their pain wasn't about us. It had nothing to do with us. We were new, you know, when we got there. But unfortunately, because we were the new leadership, we were the target of their pain. Okay, and so although we'd only been there for two months, it felt like we had already experienced a really awful divorce. Does that make sense? Where um, 
one group would say whatever they had to say to sabotage or hurt the other group, and then the other group would get offended, so they would say whatever they felt they had to say to sabotage and hurt the other group. And it was just kind of this ping pong thing. And I remember at 10 years of age, as a little girl, I remember thinking, I didn't know Christian people could act this way. You know, like I remember that, thinking this. And as the new pastors on the scene, we honestly, truly walked into a hot mess. We walked in and we just did what we knew to do and we did our best to try to love people through their pain. We did our best to try to bring forth peaceful resolutions but I, I want you to hear this, and some of you really need to hear what I'm about to say. You might even want to write it down. We learned very quickly that you cannot fix everything, especially if others are not willing to make peace. If the other people aren't willing to make peace, you're just going to keep running around in circles, exhausting yourself and distracted from your purpose. Okay? So just keep that in mind. I don't know who you are, but you needed to know that for whatever you're going through. Anyway, so it, again, it was a small town, and really when you're in a small town, there's nothing to, to do but to gossip and to hear gossip, right? How many have been there? So anyway, um, what ended up unfolding over the next 10 years of us living there, honest to goodness, was a total nightmare for my family. And our family would endure some pretty toxic treatment, our character would be tested, and we would see more hearts broken and more lies slandered around town. And then we would ultimately witness another group leaving our church and forming their own community seven minutes down the road on this side. So our church really was in the middle, <laughs> one church here and another church here. And for whatever reason, we just continued getting the backlash from all of them. It was pretty crazy on both sides. of. It. And I'm just going to give you a few highlights. I don't really want to go into a lot of detail about what happened in those 10 years, but I'll just give you a few highlights of what happened, okay? Um, bullet points. Uh, one, my father was accused of an affair. No, he did not have an affair. But they hired a detective to follow him around town, logging and following him and tracking his coming and going. They would have uh, meetings about why my father was going, where he was going, and what he was doing in your living room. That was always cool to have. Um, they claimed that I had illegitimate siblings in Texas somewhere screaming all over town um, that my parents also were stealing money from the church. No, none of that happened. Um, they also said that my brothers would rape women in our student loft. No, that never happened. Um, they uh, illegally tapped our phone lines, our family's phone lines, our home phone lines. Um, we were stalked, we were threatened, uh, during my father's messages, uh, when he would preach, people would shout out lies and snicker. Um, I was accused of being promiscuous and being a slut. Um, I was not. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> really. Anyway, <laughs> um, there was one night where um, I was 15 years old, and a, I, my parents were out of town, and I came home. So it was about 10 o'clock at night or so, and a police officer who used to attend our church that left with the second group pulled into our driveway, turned off all of his lights in his car, blocked my car into the driveway, got out, started screaming at me, yelling at me, threatening me to get outside of my car, asking me, Kendra, where have you been tonight? Who have you been sleeping around with? Blah, 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 blah. Thank God I had enough sense as a 15-year-old to stay locked in my car and continue to honk my horn until he went away. So that's just like a a tidbit, okay? I, I have lots of stories to tell, okay? But if, if I were to tell you these stories, honest to goodness, you would think I was making them up. Honestly. You would think, this poor child needs some attention. No, you know, um, you would think that they were dramatic and that they weren't true. So I'm just going to spare you all of that because that's really how crazy they were. Um, and, and the thing was, you see, our church was the largest church in that town. So naturally, you would have people from the community attend the church, and if they left with the other group, then they would go. So unfortunately for me, um, not only was it stuff that would happen at church, but the drama also followed me into middle school, into high school, where my um, principal, who used to attend our church and left with the second group, made things a little bit difficult 
for me where um, one day I was pulled into my computer teacher. She pulled me into her office and she proceeded to tell me at 15, 16 years of age that my parents um, were going to hell and that I was a spawn of Satan and that I needed to make a decision about who I was going to serve. I needed to, to decide my future. Okay, um, things like that. Another teacher, which I don't know why she would confess this to me, I guess felt so bad. She told me one day that I had actually, my peers had actually voted me as homecoming queen, but for whatever reason, the principal did not want a Kelly, me, to receive the honor, so he had the faculty change the votes so that I would not be given that privilege. So, and this was a public high school. So I just want you to know, like, those kind of weird things should have never happened. So it was this kind of um, drama that happened in my very formative years, okay? Adolescence, teenage, you know, very, very formative years. And I want to say this up front before I move any further. My parents are amazing people. They are um, incredible leaders, incredible pastors. They truly have a heart for people and sharing the love of God. They pastor a church in North Carolina today. They've been there for over 17 years. It's an incredible church. Love the people there. They're so sweet. Um, but uh, going back to Louisiana, I think it's important to note that majority of the people at the church where we were were awesome people. Like, they really were. They were very wonderful, and they loved our family, and they tried to be encouraging and supportive. But how many of you know that it usually only takes a few disgruntles, and the few can be very loud. They can be very noisy, and they can make things very uncomfortable for the rest of the time. So anyway, for 10 years, we pretty much dealt with um, all kinds of imaginable abuse or whatever. And um, probably the most likely question, because again, I don't share this a whole bunch, but the, the question that I would get back, which might be going on through your brains right now, was, why did you stay? Oh, yeah, see, you were thinking it. Yeah. Why did y'all stay? Why would you endure that? And... I don't know, I don't know, no, in hindsight, in hindsight, I guess the only thing that I can maybe possibly compare it to is maybe a woman who's in an abusive relationship, where she probably has two hopes, where, or two trains of thoughts, where um, one is, if she left, where would she go, what would she do, her reputation could be tarnished, that kind of thing, scared for the future. Or the second one could be, but this is my family. I love him. I can win him. You know, I can change him. And I really think that that's more where my family was, was in that second train of thought. We were just going to love people back to life. You know? <laughs> Didn't matter if we died in the process. We're going <laughs> to love them to life. You know? And so I really just kind of think that that's where we were. So it was like Lifetime Movie Network bad, okay, drama, humiliation, lies, slander, abuse, rejection. Anyway, because this happened in my formative years, I truly struggled with um, not feeling safe with people. And I had some major trust issues. Imagine that. You know, and the thing about it is, though, even through all the bad that happened at that time, I can look back and still see the hand of God. Isn't that wild? And I'm sure that you could do that too. Like hindsight, right? You can reflect back and go, oh God, it was terrible. I never want to live through that again. But at the same time, God was still God. And he was still there and he was faithful and he showed me some incredible, incredible things. Even in that horrific environment, I saw God's provision. Um, my family, we, we were able to learn a lot of incredible lessons about faith, leadership, relationship with the Lord, family. Our family is a very close family, even today. I, a lot of it, I think, has to go with what we went through. But also this idea of, oh, I hit 10,000 steps. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the night's not even over. <laughs> No, sorry, I'm back. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> anyway, 
we, um, we learn the importance of a relationship with God and not religion. Okay, does that make sense to anyone? So um, I learned about the faithfulness of God, and I was actually able to accomplish a lot academically. I, um, I grew in leadership at my school. I was senior class president, student body president, homecoming court four years in a row. I was even crowned Miss Teen Louisiana of National Teen. I did my first album at 16. I went to the Olympics in 1996. That was really cool. We were there the night the bomb went off. I got to win the junior Miss USA to the Lord because she was an atheist. That was cool. Anyway, um, you know, God revealed himself to me many, many times during those 10 years, okay, of growing up. And in fact, I remember one time a man came to visit our church, and he told me that the Lord had given him a dream about me. And he said, in this dream that I was singing on TV and talking on TV and traveling around the world. And I got to tell you, at that time in my life, that seemed pretty inconceivable, <laughs> you, know, you know. I didn't know how that could possibly be attained. But um, in the midst of all the pain, all the torment, the heartache and betrayal, I remember this one specific divine encounter that changed my life, still is very special to me today and close to my heart. It was the night that our church uh, was having a prayer meeting and it was honestly more like a ping pong match where we had one side of the prayer room was praying for unity and peace and love and revival. And the other side of the prayer room was praying that God would remove the Kelly family from this town. They're from the devil. We don't want them here anymore. And so that's always cool to hear. But anyway, and I remember as a teen, you know, experiencing this really weird, confusing prayer meeting, you know, and when it was over, I went upstairs to our student uh, chapel and I just started weeping on the altar there and crying and sobbing through all of this confusion about people, you know. I don't get them. They're weird. How can they be so weird, you know, and still call themselves Christians? And um, at that time, I was just sobbing. And then all of a sudden, I felt a hand on my back. And the altar, it wasn't a, uh, like a hard surface anymore, but it honestly felt like a pair of legs. And I looked up, and I was in the lap of I, an angel, uh, the Holy Spirit. I don't know. All I know is that there was a figure, and he was holding me. And he had never said a word, but he had his hand on my back. And it was just this peaceful presence of me knowing I wasn't alone and that he saw my pain, that he knew what I was going through and how confusing it was, but he was with me through this whole process. You know, I think that sometimes we get confused because sometimes we're told that when we come to Jesus and accept him into our heart that um, everything's going to be okay, you know, Everything will be fine after you, you have him in your heart. But the Bible never says that. Nowhere is that in the Bible. Instead, what's in the Bible is, you, you see, God doesn't promise that he's going to remove our suffering. Okay. Instead, what he says is, I'm going to go through the suffering with you. And then I'm going to take your suffering. And I'm going to use it. And your suffering will have purpose. Your suffering will have purpose, okay? And so, you know, if you're in a suffering season, it may be hard to see now, but this will have purpose, okay? And, and I want you to hold on to that because this will produce fruit in your life. And you never get a timeline as to when things are going to get better, but you just have to trust, right? And it's this juggling act of trusting, holding on, listening, persevering, you know, and doing all of that. And I know that you can relate to what I'm talking about because some of you probably are in that kind of seizing right now in your life. But hang on because, again, it will have purpose. So finally, at the age of 19, my family had had enough. And we left. And we moved back to Texas. You know, and whenever we decided to leave, um, there was no plan B. We didn't know really what we were going to do. We just moved back to Houston, and um, 
we, uh, my dad started traveling, ministering at other churches to bring in income. My mom got a job at a corporate office at Salvation Army. I go and get a job to start paying for my college education. And um, we were doing our best because this was a whole new life for us and a whole new chapter was being written for us. And if I'm going to be very honest with you, that season is when my real pain began. That's when it really started to hurt. I can only describe it like a car crash, maybe. If you've ever been in a car crash, when you're in that car crash, you have this adrenaline, like this superhero strength thing that comes over you, and you brace yourself for the impact, right? And then whenever you get home afterwards and you sit on the couch, then the adrenaline is gone, and then your neck stops to ache, you know? Then you start realizing, oh, no, my back is hurting. You start feeling the impact of what your body actually went through once that adrenaline is gone. And that's what happened to me during this chapter of my life was now that here I am in Houston and it's actually quiet. <laughs> it's quiet and it's peaceful and it's calming. And now all of a sudden, everything that I had endured and watched my family endure and my parents go through for 10 years, everything started to flood me and hit me like I had just been in a car crash. Uh, depression, anger, exhaustion, fear. It was post-traumatic stress. That's what I was going through. And how, how many of you know what I'm talking about? If you've ever experienced that kind of post-traumatic stress? Yes. And so it was the, me, I have a little bit of OCD, and I am a perfectionist. Um, I dealt with my post-traumatic stress the only way that I knew how and how it came out, and that was, you know, for, for one, um, I had a, a major fear of germs. <laughs> Sounds silly, but it was very overwhelming at the time, and it consumed me to the point to where I wanted to wear plastic gloves to college so I didn't have to touch doorknobs. I wanted to spray down my desk before I would sit at it. Um, I would have to double bolt the door three times before I would go to bed at night, every night, things like that. My OCD was acting out if that makes any sense to any of you. I had this obsessive need for control and I, this obsessive need to fix everything. On top of that, I began harming myself physically. I would um, punch myself in the stomach to where I had bruises all on my abdomen, but um, no one could see it because I didn't go around showing off my belly, you know? And so um, no one knew about it. I, I, re I will always remember the night that I was in my bathtub holding the razor and thinking to myself, this could all be over right now. I could end this suffering right now. I remember these things, but I never said a word to anyone about it because who would I tell? My trust in people had been broken. Who would believe me? What would they do about it? Go tell everyone twist it, manipulate it, what would they do with my suffering? And the worst part about it was I truly felt in that season of my life that for the first time, God had gone silent. I couldn't hear him anymore. I didn't know if he was aware of what I was going through. I didn't know where he was, and I felt abandoned. Can anyone in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know I'm not the only one that has had seasons in their life where they have felt that way. Okay. So it just felt like no matter what I did, I couldn't feel anything. I felt numb. Numb. Like, like waking up and getting out of bed took the amount of energy that it took to run a marathon. You know? You just wanted to stay in, under the covers and not pretend, not have to fake it, you know, for the next day. You just wanted to just hide from it all, because uh, you just didn't know what was going to happen next kind of thing. And um, I was tired. I felt rejected. And so I, I remember this one day where I felt like I had had enough, and I got in my red blazer, little Chevrolet, and I drove to an abandoned field in Houston, and I got out of my car, and I started screaming 
the most obscene things, <laughs> yelling, cussing, um, awful things to the creator of the universe. I don't ever recommend you do that in your pain or your suffering, okay? I, I remember getting there because here was the deal. I, I wasn't just angry about everything. I was angry with God about everything. You ever had that time where you've just been angry at God? How does this have purpose? How? And I remember feeling that heaviness in my chest and the heat and my heart pounding. And I got out of that car and I slammed the door and I wanted God to know how ticked off I was. And I remember screaming, where are you? Where are you? How could you do this to us? All we ever did was try to love you and serve you. I've always put you first. How could you put our family through this? How could you do this? to me. All we did was try to, are you even real? Do you even exist? Or are you just a joke? Or are we the joke? Is this just funny for you, maker of the world? Are you laughing at us right now? Where are you? You are just a hateful, spiteful God. And I'm not leaving this spot until I hear from you again. So I'm waiting Again, don't ever do that. I never recommend you doing that. It will not produce fruit, okay? Anyway, and I, I did, I stayed in that field for about three hours before I realized how stupid I was and that I should probably get in my car and return to the safety of my home as it was nightfall now. And I was driving home, and um, when I finally got back home, I pulled into the driveway of my house, I put the car in park, and I finally did the smartest, most wisest thing that I could have done. I believe to this day that that was the one thing, me doing this, that was the one thing that totally redirected my story. That by, by doing this, it was the right thing. It was the righteous thing to do. And after I'd had my temper tantrum with the Lord, I, uh, I apologized to him. And I remember saying, I'm sorry for my outburst, you know. But God, I still trust you. And I still love you. And I still surrender my life to you. I still want your best in my life. So just take whatever you can, whatever's here, whatever you want, just take it and use it somehow to give you glory. I'm still yours, and I'm not going to go anywhere. That moment, I truly believe, redirected everything for my future. It did. Two weeks after that moment, I was at a conference in Dallas where a pastor approached me and told me that she had a, a singing tour coming up and she wanted me to be a part of it. Would I join her? It was called Destined for Deliverance. And I was like, I've got nothing else to do. Sure, I'll go, you know. And that tour changed that tour was about the strongholds in our life and the pain and the terrible things that we've experienced and that we've been holding on to and how it can be holding us down and how they're literal chains, but God will come and sever that chain in our, in our heart and make things new and fresh for us again, give us a new perspective. And it was a moment of true deliverance for me, but it was also where I met Dusty Dean. And I'll tell you, when I first met him, I didn't like him <laughs> at all. In fact, um, he walked up to me. Uh, I never met him, never said a word to him, didn't know who he was. He's three, year and a half, three and a half years younger than me, so, you know, I was really, you know, so mature and all that stuff. And this 18-year-old boy, skinny, 
white frosted tips. You might remember that season, summer. <laughs> uh, he walks up to me and goes, huh, you're beautiful. I'm going to marry you one day. <laughs> and I was like, who is this? Get away, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, throughout the, the tour, our friendship started to grow, okay? And um, through this, this production that we would do where there was singing and there was monologuing and acting and all this sort of stuff and there was preaching, at the end of it all, we were supposed to go out and be praying with other people who had come to watch us, right? That's the goal. Anyway, uh, this particular night, um, we're praying for other people, and then Dusty comes up to me. Now, we weren't super close at this point. It had only been like two weeks of the tour and knowing him. And he walked up to me, and he had this fear. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. This fear in his eyes, and he was trembling, and there was sweat coming down his forehead, and I'm like, what are you doing? Because he's coming straight for me. And I, um, I said, um, what, are you, what, 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 what are you doing, Dusty? We're supposed to be praying with people right now. And he said, I, I have to tell you something. And I was like, now? Right now you have to tell me? He was like, yes. He said, I, I feel like the Lord showed me something about you, and he wants me to tell you right now what he showed me. And again, he was shaking, shaking. And I was like, well, okay, tell me. <laughs> because we're supposed to be, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. We're supposed to be praying for people right now. And so he looked at me in the eyes, and he said, um, the Lord showed me something about you. He showed me that you've been hurting yourself, and you've been doing it in your stomach where nobody can see it. No one, my parents, no one knew this. And I just looked at him, like frozen. That embarrassment, that shame, that like, you're not, no one is supposed to know this about me kind of thing. And then he said, but that's not the worst part. And I just looked and I was like, he said, the Lord showed me that you have convinced yourself that you hate religion. But the truth is, Kendra, you hate people. And God can't use you. Well, he said he won't use you until you learn to love his people again. And I remember looking at Dusty, and I, I was speechless. I, had, I didn't know what to say. I was 100% exposed. Exposed. And then he just looked at me and he said, and that's all I'm supposed to tell you. And he turned around and walked away. And when he left, I just realized that's the truth. I hate people. Oh, my God. I hate people. Who am I to hate people? And I just remember falling and crumbling to the floor in that moment and sobbing and repenting and telling God how sorry I was for my arrogance, for my self-righteousness, and just how I, I'm, that, I'm so sorry. Who am I? to hate your creation. And it was just a true moment of brokenness. And whenever I felt like I had finally got right in my heart again with the Lord, I finally heard him speak to me again. And I hadn't heard him in so long. And he said, Kendra, look at your hands. And so I looked at my hands, and he said, now I can use you to help heal my people. And now I can do great things with these hands. And in that moment, I had such a perspective of people in general. I, I had this perspective of mercy and this grace that God has for his children and for all those people that had caused me so much pain, 
all of a sudden, I started to feel sorry for them in a way. I was still a little angry, don't get me wrong. But my, my mindset, my view of them had changed. I saw them differently. I started to feel compassion for them. And that was the moment that forgiveness was being birthed inside of me. That's where it was starting for me. And a brand new chapter was beginning. And, you know, a few days after that moment, I was, Dusty and I were on the bus with everybody else. He was sitting behind me. We're having a conversation. And I heard the Lord say, you're going to marry this man one day. And I looked at the 18-year-old, and I said, no, I'm not. And again, he just repeated himself. He said, you're going to marry this man one day. And from that moment forward, something also started happening in my heart for William Dustin Bean. And um, I got to tell you that one of the main reasons why I was so against it in my heart, because Dusty was a good guy, but Dusty had made it very clear that his passion was to pastor. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. And I begged God. I was like, I can't marry someone who wants to be a pastor. You can't put me through that again. I don't want to go through this again. I've learned my lesson. Don't make me do it again. Right? How many of you ever thought that before and what you're going through? And um, again, the Lord just simply repeated himself. He said, you're going to marry him one day. And, you know, <clears throat> as a little sidebar, if you have a nagging feeling on the inside <laughs> of something that you should do or someone that you need to talk to or some kind of thing that you, can, you just can't seem to get it out of your head, okay, and it just keeps repeating itself to you and you keep brushing it aside, there's a high possibility that that could be the Lord trying to get you to stretch yourself, trying to get you to grow yourself and put your trust in him and stop trying to control things. He's, he's trying to see how teachable and how obedient you can be. Okay, so I just wanted to throw that in for free. So if that's you, you might just want to reconsider why that's on repeat in your life. Anyway, within a week of finishing this tour, Destined for Deliverance, I was offered a job to move to Dallas, Texas. And then that job led me to an interview and audition with Joni Lamb, which led me to be a part of the Daystar family for over 17 years. Dusty and I dated for four years, and then we got married. And... Um, had two kids, you know, and so, uh, and of course with Daystar, I have traveled around the world and sung around the world and sung on TV, just like that man said whenever he came to that small little church, I mean that small town in Louisiana and spoke that over my life. So you may not be able to see how all these things can happen, but he knows. It's all up to our surrendering and our obedience, okay, to again, to let him make something beautiful out of our suffering, okay? So um, the, the thing about that, I, I, I guess I should have said this, this was in my notes, because this is important for you to know. So Dusty and I have been married for 13 years. He and I have done ministry together for about 17 to 18 years. And so we do pastor the church together. And here's the kicker, I love it. I love pastoring. Like, I love it. And I love people. <laughs> what? You know, I do. I love people, and I love watching what God can do in people. And, and some of you might be thinking, wow, that's so great. That's such an awesome testimony, Kendra. But, you know, there's, there's more to my story. There always is, right? There, you know, you don't know about the time that two years after our, we got, Dusty and I got married, we actually separated for 12 months. We were on the brink of divorce, and then God restored our marriage and brought us back together. You don't know how hard and how difficult it was to conceive both of our daughters. You know, there's so many stories that I could share with you and tell you because we are always writing chapters in our life. I say that because that one chapter, that one season that you went through, that does not define you. It doesn't. There's much, much more to you. There's much more purpose. There's much more beauty that God can use after every little thing that happens in your world, 
okay, that he can continue to mold and grow and stretch into you that makes you this big, beautiful novel that everyone just wants to see and read and be a part of, okay? It's kind of like where, where it says um, in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, there's a time for everything, right? I'm going to go through it super fast, super fast. There's a time for birth, time for death. Plant, the time to plant, tend to uh, reap, to kill or to heal, to destroy, to construct, to cry or to laugh, to lament or to cheer, to make love and then to abstain, to embrace and then another to part, uh, uh, to search and another to count your losses, to hold on then to let go, to rip out and then another to mend, to shut up and then to speak up, you know, to love and to hate, you know, to wage war or to make peace. There's so many different seasons in your life that are, are going to create stories in your life. And the thing that you need to understand is that change is going to come. Change will come. And you have two very real choices when that change comes. The first thing that you can decide to do is you can try to control and manipulate the situation to get your desired result or... The second thing that you can choose to do is you can be righteous. You can surrender what you're going through. Surrender everything to the Lord, the changes, the seasons, the chapters. Give it all to God because once you surrender it to him, he controls your narrative. Then he's in charge. And, you know, I'm not just the girl who survived that small town in Louisiana or who survived religion, or self-abuse, or depression, or OCD, or anxiety, or an unhealthy marriage that was about to divorce. No, I am a woman after God's own heart. I am a woman who chose to forgive humanity and human pious laws. I'm a woman who decided that I can help lead people into a loving relationship with the Lord. A woman who surrendered anxiety and expectations to God. Yes, and someone who chooses to find joy in the middle of her adversity. A woman who had a failing marriage but chose to surrender the heartache. Okay, she chose to give all of that and learn to forgive so that we could have a healthy, loving marriage today. All right, I'm a woman who chooses to speak life over my circumstances instead of wallowing in my disappointments. That's the kind of woman that God is calling you to be. Does that make sense? We are all women that God is calling to surrender us to him. And we have to learn to yield each season, each lesson. We have to learn to yield it and simply say, take it. Take it, God. Take all of it. Take whatever you can and use it for your good. You make something out of this mess. You take it, and you can have it, okay, because he's growing you. Lord, what do you want to teach me right now? What are you trying to heal in me that I didn't know was still in there? What are you trying to retrain in my mind right now? What are you trying to do in me? Help me get it. Help me get the lesson so that I can grow in you. Help me understand it. Help me understand it. No matter what you're going through, he will turn it around and make it beautiful. He can do that. And I want you to think about this one little thought. Have you ever wondered why it's so important for you to make the decision to surrender your season to the Lord? Have you ever wondered why you have to surrender your story to God? I have an idea. Maybe it's because it's not ever our story to begin with. Maybe it's not my story at all. And I think that society, we get it so confused. We get it so messed up because it's my life, my choices, right? My story. No. I think that this is God's story, and we're just pieces of his chapter. We're pieces and the big story that God is writing and that he's creating. A lot of times we think, how can I go about my life and make God fit into my story? We're just fitting into his the whole time. Every character in the Bible all points back to God. They all have a purpose, and it points back to God. Every season and everything that you go through in your life, if you surrender it to the Lord... 
everyone you talk to about it, or just people who see it and they're watching you, every one of them, it will point them back to God for his story, for his narrative. We all play a small role in God's story. What is that, that saying that says the, the, the play that I'm a part is bigger than the part that I play? It's the same way with God. We're all just a piece of it, okay? And so we all have a responsibility to realize what part we play and to find our purpose in that and surrender it to the Lord and see what God can do with that. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's a really cool concept, Kendra. That's cool. However, you don't know the season that I'm in right now. You have no clue, honey. <laughs> you have no idea about the people that are on my list that I have to forgive, that have wronged me, that have abused me, that have been hateful to me. You have no clue, Kendra, how long this list is for me. Kendra, you have no clue about the divorce, about the debt, the sickness, the relationships, the failure of my children, my career change, the repossession, or the crimes that were committed against me. Kendra, you have no clue. And how am I supposed to be able to move through this chapter and forgive all of those who have wronged me? Well, I can tell you how, if you want me. Thank you. I can tell you how I did it, because I promise my list was really long, <laughs> and how I still do it today. You ready? Okay. Here it comes. Corn dogs. Corn dogs. Through a corn dog. You see, one day, I'm for real. It's through a corn dog. <laughs> one day, when I was becoming one with the carpet and feeling sorry for myself and going over my long list of people that had wronged me, how am I supposed to forgive all these people, Lord? Everything they've done, it just hurts and it just stings so much. They were so cunning and they were so manipulative and they were so devious in how they treated me. And da 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 da. In that moment, I asked him, How do I forgive? And he gave me a vision of a corn dog. <laughs> to which I said, No, thank you, I'm not hungry. But the corn dog stayed. Now look, he created me, okay? He created this personality, so he knows what gets to me, okay? So I just hope you enjoy this. But anyway, he, the image of the corn dog just kept staying there. And I was like, Lord, what are you trying to show me about this corn dog? What is it about a corn dog? And he said to me, Kendra, you're overcomplicating this. You have a tendency, Kendra, to overcomplicate people. Okay? He said, I want you to look at the corn dog. It still cracks me up. Um, what is in a corn dog? It's a hot dog wrapped in cornbread. That's it. The, it doesn't get much more simple than this. It's a, corn, a hot dog wrapped in cornbread. People are just souls wrapped in flesh. A soul wrapped in flesh. The only thing that makes them different is his spirit in the corn dog. I hate to break it to you, but we are all just hot dogs wrapped in cornbread. <laughs> okay? But he said, Kendra, seriously, he said, each day that soul gets out of bed and they try to put one foot in front of the other as they tow this thing called life where they try to make the best decisions that they can each day to live like Christ. And some days we get it okay, but most of the time we don't get it right. We mess up. And that's where you have to realize you don't know what happened to that person. You don't know their story. You don't know what happened in them to, to 
construct the way that they think and that they process and how they do the choices that they make. They're just a, a hot dog wrapped in cornbread. They're just a soul wrapped in flesh. That's all they are. And they're going to mess up because they're a corn dog. <laughs> and Kendra, you're going to mess up because you're a corn dog. Okay? And you've just got to get over it and stop overcomplicating it. Just stop overcomplicating it. It's not that hard. So there's a, there's a two-step process that you can do to forgive your corn dogs. Okay? Number one, imagine them as a corn dog. Because I promise, whenever you start looking at the names of those people and start visualizing them as a cornbread walking on a stick through life, it's just not that offensive anymore. <laughs> it's just not. Right? No. But number one, okay, you have to forgive the people who wronged you, right? And this is, what you, this is the best way to forgive them. You have to bless them. Right? You have to control what you say. Ladies, we have to control our tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says that words will kill and words can give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You decide. Again, there's the choice. You get to make the decision. Okay? And there were times in my life where I had to look at that list of people and I had to grit my teeth because I didn't believe what I was saying. So I was like, Lord, Bless them, you know. Bless, give them favor in their life and bring righteous relationships around and let them be financially blessed. Give them, give them peace in their home and a promotion on their job, you know. Like, I'm doing it through gritted teeth. You know what I'm talking about, right? But then something would start happening by the time I was finishing. All of a sudden, my jaw would loosen up. But all of a sudden, I would be in tears because I would genuinely mean what I was praying over them. I would genuinely want God's best in their life. I would genuinely want God to take that corn dog and do something amazing with it, right? You've got to take control of your tongue. Speak life. Don't speak death. We know it was awful. We know it happened. Stop rehearsing it. Control the tongue, because here's what happens. When you control your tongue, you start retraining the way that you think, okay? And then once you start retraining the way that you think, your heart will follow. But you have to choose the path first. You have to choose the action first. The second thing that you have to do is you have to learn to take responsibility for your own flesh. None of us are perfect. I alone... Kendrick, Kelly Dean, I alone and am, I am responsible for the condition of my own heart. I'm responsible for what's in my heart and what I allow to stay there and be gross and nasty and ugly or what I allow to get rid of. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to any of you? I alone have to learn to raise my expectations of people and raise my expectations in God. I alone can do that. I have to choose to let go of the weight of the outside voices that are taking over in my head. I have to choose not to get caught up in the drama. And I have to choose to walk in love, focusing on my purpose so that I can continue to make a difference in this world. Okay? I want you to look at Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. It says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Avoid careless banter, white lies, and gossip. Keep your eyes where? Straight ahead. Keep them straight ahead. Ignore all side show distractions. Watch your step, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. He's going to make that crooked path straight before you. Don't look to the, to the right or to the left. You're going to leave evil in the dust. Ignore your sideshows. Ignore them. It's not worth it. We have too much to do. We have too many people to talk about God to. We have too many people to expose our story to and say, there's still hope here, y'all. Don't give up because God's never left you, and he's going to do something amazing with the suffering that you've had. We have too much to do to get caught up in the sideshows. Don't do it. Don't do it. You've got to start thinking the way that God sees. 
look through his eyes, and let God's word be the final word in your life, not what other people say. It doesn't matter what they say. He created you. He designed you. He has the purpose for you. Are you going to surrender it? And are you going to walk in boldness with what he's called you to do? Right? Because I promise you, if you trust him, he will deliver. He always does. So you see, we all have stories, and we all have something to share about what we've gone through, right? But I'm begging you, do not let a corn dog rob you of your story in God's book. Okay? All right. Thank you. <laughs>